The Three Down Greencast is brought to you by the Pile of Bones Brewing Company, Regina's only downtown brewery. Well, this is a little different for me this week as John is away being a big slacker and pretending to take time off or something. I don't know. I guess uh, it was nice enough to give him some time after one of the worst rider performances in recent history. So this should be a really fun podcast, but it's also probably going to be our most credible podcast ever because <laughs> I am joined by my good friend CJME Green Zones, Ariel Zer, who has been kind enough to... Uh, Lend her time this evening as we record this podcast to uh, share her thoughts on that dumpster fire of a game and uh, kind of the riders in the state of the league in general. Thanks. Yeah, dumpster fire is kind of the the word of the day, I would say, because uh, <laughs> I, I remember we actually got a text in on the CGME text line um, before the game saying, uh, stop uh, stop comparing me to a dumpster fire, signed to the Montreal Alouettes. <laughs> but now it seems like maybe that's the Rough Riders that should be saying that, uh, or they should they could be saying about that, because it's uh, it, it was an ugly one. Absolutely, and there, there, there was no other way to describe what happened in that game. I remember I actually texted Drew, the, mm-hmm. the guy who runs the site, after the game, and I said, is Tire Fire one word or two? <laughs> I, I wanted to make sure CP style wide. I CP style. Yeah, I, right. I got that right, yeah. and he told me it was two words, and then he had some other descriptions that he used as well that I probably shouldn't really share on this podcast, so uh, <laughs> we won't. But as uh, as you've learned, uh, as is tradition on the three down green cast, we open a beer and yes. chat a little bit. So uh, Ariel, what are you enjoying this week? Today I am enjoying the Muskoka Brewery's Summerweiss, uh, a tropical wheat, which is I love. Wheat beers, yeah. like Hefeweizens are like my jam. And uh, Joel, you picked really, really well for me this week because this thing is uh, this this is delicious. It's you're right, a little bit radlery. It's got a nice tropical. It's the perfect summer beer, really. It's it's Absolutely, fantastic. Yeah. I'm I'm really really liking it. What do you got today? And for me, it's uh, the third week in a row. It's made an appearance on the show. It's the Pile of Bones White IPA. I mean, it makes Friend sense. Friend of the show. Friend of the show, actually, <laughs> official sponsors of the show oh. as well. So. Uh, Thanks to Glenn and the guys again for doing that, as we made that little announcement last week. Not that anyone really cares who sponsors the show, but... We like beer. That's we like why. beer, and it makes us look somewhat legitimate that <laughs> we have a sponsor. So it's like, hey, these guys must be onto something when we're not. <laughs> so we have a lot to get to in this show. We're going to talk about a lot about Deron Carter, because that's obviously the big conversation Oof. around here. We're going to talk about the quarterbacks. We'll look ahead to kind of the game a little bit this week, what we should expect to see against Hamilton or what should be different. It might not be, but should be. And, you know, we'll maybe touch on a few other little topics from mm-hmm. across the league as well, though, because we like to, John and I generally like to talk about one kind of big story in the CFL this week, yep. but I think the Riders were the big story in the CFL this week, so it might be hard to touch on something else. Maybe we can talk about Kyrie Zaber a little bit and maybe his Matt buffoonery. Nichols as Matt well. Nichols, yeah, that just came down today, so that'll be an interesting conversation as well. So when we're talking about the game, there's going to be there's going to be a lot of negative hmm. coming through here in the next little bit. So I want to make sure we give this the time first. What was really the most important part of that game on Saturday night was the Humboldt Strong, the ceremony, yeah. everything involved that happened that evening, and just the top-notch job the riders did on that. And the Rough Riders are really 
great at this kind of thing, really. They've, they've shown us over the years how classy they are in these types of situations. Um, I'm thinking uh, Darian Durant's return last year, mm-hmm. um, the video that they prepared for him was was really quite touching. And, and they were they did it again. And it wasn't just the video, which was wonderful Absolutely, and well yeah. done, but there yeah. were so many little touches along the way. Um, there was the white ribbon at the 29-yard line mm-hmm. to uh, in remembrance of the 29 people in the bus crash. Um, there was having the players and their families there of course there was the scholarship that they created um for dana bronze the athletic therapist that they're going to give out every year to a student therapist that helps them out during Mm. training camp so many wonderful little things i loved that they flipped a puck absolutely that was really fun instead of a coin uh, with the humble broncos logo on it i thought that was amazing um, and I, and them bringing in the merchandise to help Humboldt save it. There was so many things that the Rough Riders did right uh, in that game, and, and that's only just a few yeah. of them. Yeah, absolutely. There was, there was so much more, and I pointed that out, and like I felt on 3 Down Nation I had to write a separate piece on mm. that rather than putting those For thoughts sure. in with my game thoughts because that would be unfair to everything that the Riders did. For Humboldt Strong that night. And like you said, and I agree with you completely, it was the little things that really made the difference when they unraveled the 13th man flag and the Humboldt Strong yeah. ribbon was on there and the Stars Ambulance flyover instead of, you know, the usual jet planes that we'd yeah. see for a flyover, right? So just little things like that and the whole night was just really well done. It's too bad the game didn't live up to any yeah. of that because we thought, I kind of thought the players would feed off it a little bit, but... Nonetheless, they did all of that stuff right, as they always do, and you, you just have to give them a round of applause for it. And something that they couldn't control but was really, um, I think, almost the highlight of the night for me was there was actually a, a rainbow over mm-hmm. that, that yeah. appeared over the over Mosaic Stadium, almost uh, uh, a hello, I want to say, from, <laughs> you know, from uh, all yeah. of the people that died uh, saying, you know, we see you, and, and, and it was a night about remembering, and, and for so many people, rainbows are, are a symbol of that, and I thought that, you know, that's not something that the Rough Riders could control, no, but I thought it not. was such a beautiful, uh, beautiful happenstance that it happened yeah. that way, and speaking of beautiful things that the Rough Riders can't control, whether or not Naaman Roosevelt gets uh, fined for this, <laughs> yeah. but uh, he wore special Humboldt, uh, Humboldt Strong cleats, he spray-painted them green green and yellow on on one foot he had Humboldt Strong in mm-hmm. in uh, gold letters and the other one he had the crest of the Humboldt Broncos he said he'd been thinking about what he could do for a really long time that the whole situation really um, really affected him and, yeah. and that was just a small thing but I think a small thing like all of the other small things that add up to a really big thing done really well absolutely and so the writers did well on that it was really it was it was it was not not fun to watch. That's not the right word. But it was very touching. It, it, was, it was very touching. It was well done and it was worth watching. And I'm sure long term, that's what everyone will remember about that night. The I football so. game was atrocious and you know atrocity to the game. But everything else, <laughs> everything else is really what people will remember because football games fade, bad games happen. But this this thing, this is going to live on for a long time. And the writers, I know they've said it, and there's no reason not to believe them that. They didn't this they're not done with this. Like right. they are going to continue to be there for the Broncos, for Humboldt and everyone affected by this. And you know, this was a opportunity really for the first time for the people of Saskatchewan to acknowledge the families in a public way like this. This yeah. was really uh I think very special for the people who came to the game to be able to 
um, through a standing ovation, basically, and the crowd was on their feet through mm-hmm. pretty much the whole pregame ceremony, yeah. um, to be able to tell the families in, in in their own way, in a way that only Saskatchewan people can, that we're here with you, mm-hmm. our arms are wrapped around you, and we're going to support you through all of this. And and when I talked to Eddie Steele, who had spent time in, in Humboldt before the tragedy happened, and then, of course, went back after, um, he said that was what he was most looking forward to, is he knew that the people of Saskatchewan Ashwin had been waiting for this opportunity, mm-hmm. and and they didn't disappoint either. Uh, we're all behind the Humboldt Broncos, and we're all Humboldt strong. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, this as much as you know, there's there's been lots of memorials and a lot happening in this province for it, the Riders are still this province's biggest stage. Yes. So it was it was it, ha- it was the moment everyone kind of been waiting for. You you don't really want to make the home opener of that because it's a different mm-hmm. thing. So I, I understand why the Riders waited to their second home game. Mm-hmm. And to just to the little point to add to everyone being on board, even the bunch of us old curmudgeons in the press box yes. are wearing our pins that they gave to us. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> even Herb Zerkowski, one of the most... The most curmudgeonly of all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we can talk about Herb a little bit later, too, maybe, but uh, we'll see. Anyway, there's no real way to transition out of this, so we're just going to say that's that's kind of the close of the Humboldt Strong discussion, and now, now let's get into the fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> So as you all know by now, the Riders were throttled, in a sense, by the Montreal Alouettes. Um, the fact that they weren't throttled score-wise was because they played the Montreal Alouettes. I think if they played any other team that night besides maybe Toronto, they would have lost, like, they would have been down, like, 30 at halftime. Absolutely, and it's in large part to do with the fact that the Montreal Alouettes are in the same position as the Rough Riders are in right now, in the sense that they don't have a quarterback that can really be uh, effective. And um, I'm not saying that Brandon Bridge doesn't have the potential to get there, but he's not there yet. And we all know, as we've seen through the years, that Drew Willey is not a starting quarterback in the CFL. He's a contingency plan. He's not the plan. And the fact that the Montreal Alouettes had to go with him kind of says something about where (laughs) the organization is at right now. And and I think um, one of the only positives that you can take out of this game for the Rough Riders was... Uh, the defensive line, they were back to form what, the way we're used to seeing them after being completely stymied by the uh, Ottawa Red Blacks. Willie Jefferson came back, did Willie Jefferson, all the things we expect Willie yeah. Jefferson to do. I mean, oh, yeah, two sacks, forced fumble, knockdowns at the line. Like, this mm-hmm. is Willie Jefferson. He is a specimen on oh, the field. I, it was two weeks ago on this show, I, I called him, like, my man crusher of the CFL. He's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and, and what we don't talk about maybe enough, the fact that he's just vicious on the field, off the field, he's this very dynamic, charismatic leader. He's the person that the team all kind of turns to. He's the mm-hmm. leader on the defense, and he re- the team really rallies around him, but he's got this, um, he's also got this, like, I don't want to say he's got a big softy, but he does have a soft heart, and he just had a daughter in the off yeah. season, yeah. and he's very caring. He's very thoughtful. Um, That's and... true of like a lot of like the big guys. Yeah, the, the, the ones guys, you don't it's, think. It's the offensive line, yeah. the defensive line. These guys that just do nasty things to each other <laughs> for sixty minutes of football just end up being some of the nicest guys you ever meet. Too. And it's, it's, it's a, a weird, it's a weird dynamic, it but it's how it is. It is. And Willie wears a grill on his teeth, and like <laughs> you know, he's got the tattoos on his body, and and you think he might be a certain way. 
way, and he's yeah. the complete opposite. But he is that way that oh. you think he is on the football oh, 100%, field. 100%, yeah. And uh, it was nice to see the defensive line back in form. I thought Zach Evans probably had his best game. Mm-hmm. As a rough rider, he's kind of finding his magic again. Uh, and Charleston Hughes, I mean, the fact that you have Charleston Hughes on one end of the defensive line and you have Willie Jefferson on the other strikes fear into the hearts of quarterbacks across the league. And hopefully they can strike a little fear into Jeremiah Mazzoli. Well, that's we'll get into the, this week's game alone in a little bit, but that's probably going to be their only chance to win this game, I think. Um, so for what went right defensively, because overall the defense did play fairly mm-hmm. well, and it's the only reason they kept them in that game, there was the one glaring problem on defense that has been the talk of this province since about halftime of that game. Talk that, of the league, really. Talk of the league, absolutely, because as I wrote about last year on Three Down Nation, that everyone has an opinion on Drawn Carter. Mm-hmm. So when stuff like this happens to him, everyone shares their opinion on Tron Carter. And that's good for the league, but in this scenario, he that decision that Chris Jones made to put him at defensive back with no backup, I think it's fair to say that essentially cost them the football game. I think that there is, yeah. I mean, the lack of offense probably also didn't help, but... Um... Two really big explosions for Deron Carter. Two penalties. 130 yards Chris Williams got off of him. And I don't understand why Deron Carter is a defensive back for a number of reasons. The biggest being that... He is your, one of your greatest offensive weapons, and you're taking it away from first Zach Caleros, a quarterback still learning your offense and trying to feel comfortable, and now Brandon Bridge or David Watford, who are a lot newer to the game and could use an offensive weapon like Deron Carter. But if you're Chris Jones and you've decided, hey, Deron Carter is a defensive back, that's it. Why, oh why, Joel, are they putting him in the most exposed position on the football field? Why not put him on the other side, the wide side, sorry, not the, the not the wide side, the other side <laughs> we know, of the we ball. Know, we know what you meant, yeah. But, and, and not where the, he's not facing the Deontay Spencers, he's not facing the Chris Williams. Mm-hmm. Let, leave that to Ed Ganey and the guys who yeah. have been shown to be able to do that and put your rookie DB, because for all intents and purposes, at this position, Deron Carter is a rookie, put 100%. him on the other side of the ball where he might not see quite as much action. Yeah, I, I think that decision makes sense, or at the very least, you have to float him around to find, okay, where's the weakest receiver on the field? Deron, that's where you're going. Mm-hmm. And whoever, they, they tag a few guys, and they say, okay, if number 12 gets on the field, you're going there. And, mm-hmm. you, know, you, you just move around based on that. And I, I'm like, just For the life of me, like it, the whole roster, there's so many issues with it. And even if, let's say, hypothetically, Deron Carter was a good defensive back, there was still nothing protecting them if someone went down. They were still mm-hmm. screwed either way. So they, because there was no defensive back, number one, in, given the way the game went in the situation, they couldn't yank Duran off the field. Right. He had to keep playing. And so that was an issue. And he just he, they clearly didn't have it. There was clearly roster issues with that game. And well, what you saw, too, was, and you saw it especially, I think, in the later part of the game, was Ed Ganey having not only to watch his receiver, yeah. but to back up Deron Carter. I, actually, I think Chris I saw Williams. that like very early in the game, too. It was Montreal's first mm-hmm. big play. And I think Duran got confused on who he's mm-hmm. covering, where he's going. So all of a sudden, this hit, I don't remember who the Alouettes receiver was, yeah. ran by him. All of a sudden, Ganey's between the two of them, and he has to pick one. And of course, Drew Willie's Drew Willie's not good, but he's still he's recognized stupid. that situation and saw the guy 50 yards open yeah. downfield. So, yeah, of course. And that led to three points on the board. That one play right away, and I was like, oh boy, here we go. And 
There it we went, go. and, and, and <laughs> the, the the truly amazing thing was that they didn't the, the Alouettes didn't throw anything special at Jerron Carter. No, nope. it was a simple, straightforward, the same go route every time. Yep. and he just he just couldn't do it. He started he he tried to you know he tried to bump. He yep. couldn't. He tried giving Chris Williams like a ten yard cushion. He still couldn't catch him. Yeah, so it just nothing in that scenario was working, and it all comes down to coaching decisions. And, and credit to Deron Carter. I mean, I don't think that he's an ineffective def- defensive back, but he's not as fast as Chris Williams. No. And you do have to give some credit to Chris Williams for being oh, yeah. as quick and as good as he is. But when you recognize that your defensive back is being beat, you have to change something. Mm-hmm. And that's that's coaching. That's not yeah. Deron Carter. That's coaching. That's someone that needs to make a decision and move things around and tweak it. Because I also don't think, like, as far as confidence goes, as far as someone want, you know, as far as Deron Ron Carter, he's a, I don't want to say, he's not a fragile person. He's not no. a, he's not a, you know, he, he's not an egotistical person necessarily either. He, but he wants to be good. Yeah. Right? He mm-hmm. wants to be good. And right now he's not good. No. No, and as you said, like I, this, during this conversation and all the, everything I've said about this to date, it's not, this isn't a shot at Duran. No. This is about coaching because coaching is, putting your best players in their best spot to give your team the best chance to win. And Chris Jones simply didn't do that in that football game. Because between the defensive backs, between essentially, you know, Eddie Steele's on the roster to back up the offensive line because they have no one else. And then there's the idea of Jerome Messam and they want to give put him on a pitch count, which I get, but they have to keep him on the roster because they have no Canadians. So this, this I... It's a mess. I, 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 it's... Making a roster in the CFL isn't really that difficult once you have the players. Your depth chart is pretty straightforward for the most part. And so they were missing a backup DB. They were basically didn't really have a backup offensive lineman. But hey, at least they had 18, or sorry, 16 linebackers and defensive linemen on the roster for some reason. Well, and <laughs> never mind that the linebackers that they have were not the linebackers that could go on the Sam linebacker position. was essentially another defensive back position. It's the position mm-hmm. that... Uh, Derek Moncrief plays, but yeah. all of those linebackers are either middle linebackers or wide side linebackers, will linebackers. Or Sam Hurl, who can't really do either. Right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so uh, Sam Hurl, to his credit, had uh, the most tackles in that game. There was seven of them, and the run game by the Auto- uh, the Alouettes was fairly uh, insignificant as far as the game went. But that being said... Um, they don't have the support where they need the support. I mean, no. Derek Moncrief would be a guy, if you had someone that was backing up Derek Moncrief, that could perhaps fill in at defensive back for you. And yeah. this is the real concern, is what if President Butler goes down in the next game? Then what do the Rough Riders do? Because Deron Carter is the backup DB, and they don't have anyone else. So all of a sudden you're moving Mike Edom? Uh-huh. Are you flipping uh-huh. Neiman Roosevelt? I mean... <laughs> Well, we you saw, might as well not play any receivers, I guess. Let's put them all at DB. We saw Christian Jones taking reps <laughs> a, a, as defensive back uh, this week. He's the returner. Chris Jones is not inclined to have his returners do anything else other than return it. He said today it was kind of in his experience that the more you put on your returner's plate, the less dynamic they are as your returner. And Christian Jones is a dynamic returner, so I understand that logic. But the idea that they're putting him in the lineup and he says he feels comfortable putting him in if he needs to uh, is is a sign to me that, you know, maybe he's thinking at least a little more long-term about what solutions can be. Uh, Christian Jones played some DB uh, at Alabama. He's no slouch at that position, certainly. No. Um, and he's a very talented uh, receiver as well that they could use in a pinch. So uh, at least 
we're seeing a little bit of options. They also brought in Matt Elam for all of his uh, legal troubles. You can go to Wikipedia, look up Matt <laughs> Elam on uh, Wikipedia and see the entire heading that says legal troubles. Um, he is a defensive back, so yay. Well, I mean, we'll have to see, but it's, just, it's, it's mind-boggling to me that the scouting staff this team allegedly has and the amount of work that they do scouting, that by the end of training camp, they thought none of these DBs were good enough. All this work they've done, allegedly. I don't know what they actually do at these camps, if anyone's actually paying attention. But it's just, like... There's thousands of DBs out there. There's There's thousands of DBs cut from the NFL. There's thousands of DBs that don't get drafted into the NFL. Mm -hmm. And Chris Jones is a defensive genius. But his defensive backs play man coverage. So, really, it's not that difficult in the short term if you need to, to slide a defensive back in to play man coverage. Javon Johnson, I mean, he's been in the league for a while, but Javon Johnson had, like, what, four days, three days on the Rough Rider defense before they put him into the game, and he was perfectly fine. It's not rocket science to find a defensive back. I would rather have a guy who has at least played this position basically his entire life, even if he's brand new to the league, do that than have a guy, then try to flip a guy to the other side of the field. I think the, the chances are at least moderately better that he's not going to look like a, a goof out there. He's not going to cost you the football game at the very least. And this is the, there, there's a lot of changes. When you're a receiver your entire life, you, and Jerome Carter kind of put it as, as a defensive back, your job is to get beat in a sense is kind of what he said and as a rec- and mm-hmm. and that's not necessarily true but when you listen to the second part of the quote it kind of makes sense in the way that he's saying it and he said as as a defensive back it's kind of your job to get beat and as a receiver it's your job to do the beating and Deron Carter is very good at beating defensive backs and it yeah. is a completely different mentality to have to Think about what the receiver is going to do. Think about where your eyes are going. Thinking about the, you know, the next steps that that receiver that you're following may yeah. take. It completely changes things for you. And why, when Deron Carter is one of the most talented receivers in the league, would you want to change that? That's 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 the sixty-four thousand dollar question that no one really has the answer to. And so, what this this is the double-edged sword of what they're doing with Deron is. The offense hasn't been good at all this year. And now they take their best, arguably, at least their most explosive weapon out of the game because he's the guy that makes big plays. Mm-hmm. Naaman's the steady guy who's, you know, the go-to when you need a first down. But He's going to grind it out for yeah, you. Yeah, but Duran adds that splash. He adds the big play when you need a spark. Pff, looks to me like they're an offense that could use a spark right now. So that's what really drives home the situation is, okay, he's not good at defensive back right now, and he's not helping the offense either. So really, what's the whole point of this whole thing? And because the offense, let's face it, the offense might be the worst in the CFL right now. They have three offensive touchdowns in three games. And that's what I said in that game against the Alouettes, is if we're gonna, if, if the Rough Riders are going to win that game, it's the defense that's going to have to score for them because the offense isn't mm-hmm. going anywhere. No. And that's the problem. And, and, and the thing that drives me, you know, the thing that drives me absolutely crazy is, yes, and one of the reasons Chris Jones said that he could put Deron Carter on defensive in his defensive back is that Shaq Evans, the rookie, play, he's number one. Um, he is so good 
that they that allows them to be able to flip Deron Carter. But hey, in your struggling offense, if Shaq Evans is so good, here's an idea. Why aren't we playing Deron Carter, Shaq Evans, Naaman Roosevelt, Caleb Hawley, and Joshua Stanford? Yeah. Why aren't we playing our five best receivers then if we if if the Rough Riders have no and the offense have no ability to score touchdowns right now, why aren't you putting in all of your top playmakers? The defense is good. Mm-hmm. They can't do it all. No. Not not at this stage, anyway. They need some kind of support, even if it's just eating some clock and helping field position a little bit, and they can't even do that right now. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that really has to do with the sad state of affairs that is the offensive line. Like, let's face it, we can we can talk about who they're missing on offense, the Caleros injury, Carter not being there. All that's, all that's bad, and Protection. it's not helping them, but everything, I don't care. You could have Aaron Rodgers in there right now, and... This offense would probably be going nowhere because they just they just have no time, zero time whatsoever. And they finally signed a guy this week. We'll see if that ever makes a difference. But I mean, I don't know. I'm 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 honestly kind of surprised at this point, unless he unless there has been any said no. Surprised there hasn't been a call to Pete Diakowski. And I was I've been saying that for weeks now. Yeah. Like, at what point are we calling Peter Diakowski back? Because that offensive line was much much stronger uh, with Peter Diakowski. In that right in that right guard position, yeah. and I understand that he's Canadian. He's been in the league for a while. He's expensive, and I'm sure that that's part of the reason why the Rough Riders let him go. Uh, also, because they signed uh, Vaughn Bond, yeah, um, and they thought he was going to be the answer, <laughs> and clearly he wasn't. And then but, he goes to Edmonton, and it's been okay. Yeah, he's been fine. <laughs> and and the, and, the, and the thing is, is like. They want Bladek to be the answer. Yeah. And I think he is. I, I but, think he can get there, 100%. Uh, but he's not quite there yet. Yeah. And there's been a lot of problems with the that spot, really, for mm-hmm. the Rough Riders all through the season. It, it's kind of the leaky faucet right now for, for the offensive line, no matter who they put in there. Jarvis Harrison certainly wasn't doing anyone any favors, arguably. Um, part of the reason Zach Caleros is concussed is, 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 a, is a, that failure, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I it, was, it was the right side because Thaddeus Coleman had a rough game in that one, too. Mm-hmm. He seemed to get beat all the time. I mean, Dan Clark, he's okay. He's an average center. I don't he's think there's, there's anything special about him. I'm starting to wonder about Brendan Labatt a little bit. I don't, he's not, I don't think he's at the level he once was. And I know our my companion on Three Down Nation, Josh Smith, took a lot of heat mm-hmm. for saying that maybe he shouldn't be in the top 50 of the CFL this year. Based on his performance so far this year, I'd be like... Yeah, Josh might be yeah. right on that one. Like he's, really he's, still, he's still a good offensive yeah. lineman, but I don't think he's he's not what we used to see out of Brendan Labatt. You know, it was really interesting when Brendan Labatt was named. Uh, he was voted the Rough Riders Offensive Lineman of the Year last year. Yeah, and it was really interesting that when that happened to see almost not that the offensive line didn't think that Brendan Labatt was a good offensive lineman, yeah. but a lot of them felt it should have been Thaddeus Coleman. That Thaddeus Coleman is a bit of an unsung hero on on the offensive line. You said he got beat pretty bad in Ottawa, but he's been yeah. a pretty solid right tackle for the Rough Riders. The fact is is that there might be some people listening right now that don't even really know the name Thaddeus Coleman, mm-hmm. and that is a good thing in the sense that if you don't know these yeah. guys' names, <clears throat> yeah. it means they're probably doing their job. And um, and he did have that bad game against Ottawa, but I think he's been probably one of the strongest offensive linemen that the Rough Riders have had. Uh, they had a good O-line last year, so I don't know why they 
It, it started off rough. But I don't know why they decided they were going to, t- they needed to tweak Yeah, it. I don't know. Like, the the chain, when they when they made, when they moved positions around, and there was the few games where Dan Clark was out and Labatt was in the middle, and they moved Dennis inside, and they switched, that's when the offensive line turned. This They don't have, they don't have that kind of personnel move inside them this year. They're pretty much stuck with what they got, frankly. There isn't really anything else on the roster unless this new guy suddenly becomes something. But, I mean, he was cut in Hamilton, so... I don't know. <laughs> and he's, but he is young. I mean, he, he was cut in Hamilton. He's a 13th overall draft pick in 2017. I mean, he was two picks below Darius Bladek mm-hmm. in that draft. I don't know what it was that Hamilton decided he wasn't worth the p- possible potential that he could have yeah. at that point. You know, that's what I'm, I'm really not sure about. But, I mean, he certainly got the size, 6'4", I think 312 pounds. Um, and if the riders feel like he can be an answer for them and it gets your backup O-lineman to be say him as opposed to Eddie Steele. As opposed to a defensive lineman, yeah. But though Eddie Steele, that, that's an interesting case too because Chris Jones said part of the reason that he's a backup uh, he's a backup O-lineman is because they signed Mikhail Brooks and there's less yeah. reps in the defensive interior now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of the reason that they def- they signed Mikhail Brooks was they weren't happy with the pressure they were getting up the middle against Ottawa and part of that was I think they weren't happy with how Zach Evans played in that game. Yeah. Uh, the whole defensive line didn't play very well in that game. Um, but Zach Evans has bounced back beautifully. Yeah. And so I'm not saying that they shouldn't have signed Mikhail Brooks. I'm just saying I don't know if it was a bit of a knee-jerk reaction. Slash Chris Jones has a tendency to just sign defensive good defensive players or what he perceives as good defensive players mm-hmm. when they become available. Yeah, and so the other question offensively right now for this football team is the quarterback position, which is an ongoing conversation in this province since about the midpoint of 2014. And there was the decision that Chris Jones made that was kind of Corey Chamberlain-esque, where he yanked Brandon Bridge at halftime because the offense wasn't doing anything. David Watford came in, had a few sparks more than Brandon Bridge did. But if you really, when you get down to the the nitty-gritty at the end of the day, both players had essentially the same numbers mm-hmm. at the end of the day. So to me, this what the, it was just too soon. We were talking about this before we mm-hmm. started recording, and this this isn't last year where it was there was two very different quarterbacks in Kevin Glenn and right. Brandon Bridge. This is a scenario where both quarterbacks are essentially the same, so what difference is changing going to make? And part of the reason that Brandon Bridge was so successful, I felt, coming in in relief in Kevin Glenn, was that he had Kevin Glenn. And Kevin Glenn was willing to support Brandon Bridge and was there on, over his shoulder, helping him the whole way, showing Brandon what he was seeing, see, you know, and, and really mentoring Brandon through the whole process. He doesn't have, and Brandon Bridge can't isn't that person for David Watford, whether he wants to be or not. That's not the issue. Yeah. Kevin Glenn is Kevin Glenn, and he helped Brandon be the quarterback that he was last year. I'm not saying that Brandon can't be a good quarterback on his own. I think he has the potential, but I think part of the problem with pulling him from that game and the Chris Jones's notion that he may continue to do that if Brandon Bridge continues to struggle is how is Brandon Bridge ever going to learn and develop if he doesn't have to try to fight through some of these issues and and when he digs himself a hole trying to get himself out of it I thought it was way too soon for Chris Jones to pull the plug on Brandon Bridge I thought they should have given him a bit of an opportunity or if they wanted to put David Watford in at a limited for a limited number of reps to let Brandon kind of see what was going on and then put him back in and see if he's effective again I mean he I think had I think he 
earned the opportunity to try to dig himself out of it, but that's not Chris Jones's style. It's almost like he panics mm-hmm. um, because this is what, and figures because it worked with Kevin Glenn, it may now work with Brandon Bridge, but it's just, it's not the same. No, it, it's not the same at all. And if you're in a scenario right now where you do expect Zach Caleros to be back at some point, so you, you've got to let your guys work through this. There's, there's no other options. There's no, there, you know... There's no magic quarterback. Terry Joseph isn't walking through that door, you know. Yeah. So they they you have to let your young guys work through these scenarios. You see it in all sports all the times where coaches who let their young players make mistakes and learn from them eventually become better players because of that. And, and if you don't give in a number more more importantly than anything, this essentially shows that Chris Jones just essentially has no faith that if Brandon Bridge is playing poorly, he can't turn it around. And what does that say to your quarterback yeah. if they don't feel like they have the confidence in you? I mean, to Chris Jones's credit, he, he went back out on Tuesday morning or Monday morning and he said, Brandon Bridge is our starter. But he also couched that by saying if he struggles, David Watford's going to go in. And I've, I've, I've never really understood, I think you've seen across the league, the benefit that it gives your starting quarterback to know they're the guy. And mm-hmm. they're the guy no matter what. Even even if he's thinking, okay, if things go sideways, I'm going to put David Watford in. You don't come out and say it. Don't I, as much as I appreciate the honesty, and I always will. You don't come out and say it in that scenario. I, I just don't think so. I think that you're you're playing with the psyche of a quarterback that's already obviously struggling a little bit with their confidence. Mm-hmm. And I think um, Marshall Ferguson, uh, TSN's Marshall Ferguson, had a really good point uh, on Twitter not that long ago. He was talking about both Jeremiah Mazzoli and Brandon Bridge, and he feels like they are were, are kind of on the same trajectory. But the difference was the difference is is that June Jones committed to Jeremiah Mazzoli, let him make his mistakes, and let him learn from them. And now look at what Jeremiah Mazzoli is. Mm-hmm. And Brandon Bridge maybe has that potential, but we don't know unless he gets the opportunity to work through his kinks and work through his mistakes and and perhaps reach the potential that I think that he has. Yeah. And really, ultimately, again, everything as it seems to right now comes back to Deron Carter. Because the idea is one of Brandon Bridges' biggest flaws is his accuracy. Mm. And it was Derek, it was Dark Taylor of TSN last year who would love to make the point that there was, you know, there was no quarterback in the league that was helped up more by his receivers than Brandon Bridge. Mm. So we know Naaman Roosevelt can go up and make the catches. Okay. He's not afraid to do something dangerous to make a catch. Mm-hmm. And we know that Jerron Carter can make circus catches. The other guys, we don't really know that much about them yet. At this point, it's, show, it's proving what we saw in that game looked like they're not ready to adapt to Brandon Bridge's sort of lack of accuracy. He's got a cannon of an arm, but it's, the ball's not always in the right spot, and the young receivers aren't ready for that yet. And I think it's really interesting that you mentioned that, because one of the reasons <laughs> that Chris Jones said that he cut the likes of Chad Owens, Bakari Grant, and Rob Begg was that accuracy reason, and he wanted to have the young guys would be able to kind of veer off course a little bit, get to the ball a little bit faster, make those catches. But I think what we saw last year was that there was already an established quarterback. I'm not now. I'm not saying we're going to go back in time and not cut, uh, you know, not cut Rob Begg or Chad Owens or Bakari Grant. That that. You know, that boat has sailed, and this is the Rough Rider team that exists right now. But you are replacing veterans with rookies. Mm -hmm. And I do wonder if that was the smartest decision that the Rough Riders could have made, given you were bringing in a quarterback who is not 100% familiar yet with your offense in Zach Caleros. And was in all likelihood going to get injured at some point. uh, 
And so you're to forced frank, to put in your young, right. inaccurate quarterback. Exactly. So, so why not have at least one, at least one, if not two, of the guys who are familiar with your offense had a good had good seasons in limited time in Chad Owens' cases, but yeah. Chad Owens' case, time in your offense understood it and would be able to be there to help out your mm. quarterback. I remember in the 2016 season, not that we really want to go back to that one, <laughs> but. Um, Talking to some of the young quarterbacks that the Rough Riders brought in that year, and you know how many of them said Rob Bag was the biggest help to them that season? Well, they all do. They all do. Yeah. Naaman Roosevelt, mm-hmm. Rob Bag is one of his biggest helps when he came here too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's something, there's something to be said about losing that guy who's been around the block mm-hmm. and is that mentor to everyone else, and is also the mentor to your young quarterback. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't really know what happened with Rob Bag. I, I, I don't think production-wise, we were too surprised. Mm-hmm. There's been we, we've talked about this ad nauseum, but I think the, the Chad Owens thing. There was an injury there, so I mm-hmm. wonder if there was an opportunity to at least stash him on the six games mm-hmm. so he's around. You know, <laughs> because he did that last. Week. Because I mean, Eric, I mean, you could have done the old Eric Tillman and put him on the six game for a while and mm-hmm. see what happens. And if it's uh, right now, would be like, okay, yeah, I guess we need Chad Owens. We're going to activate him, right? Yeah. So. That, that could have been a scenario that they could have looked at, but there, as we've seen, you know, with Canadian drafts, with, you know, a lot of the young Americans they bring in, there's generally a lack of foresight with how this team has been built over the years under Chris Jones. And so, as you're saying, you're right. This come, So this all comes back to receivers. This all comes to back the offensive struggles, come back to not having the guys and if you, that are able to make the big plays. And if you take Deron Carter out of that as well, what are you left with? An offense that only scores three touchdowns in three games. Yeah. And the other sort of question people had about the offense was, why weren't they using Jerome Messam? So, you were the, you were, <laughs> well, you were the one that got to ask yeah, the question. I mean, so. and, 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 uh, yeah, I mean, basically, Chris Jones said he's 33 years old, and I want to have him for the end of the season. Well, okay, I suppose, but at the this rate, the, you're not going to have an end of the season. Won't matter, so so it, it, it's, it's interesting because we were under the understanding as the media that Jerome Messam wasn't going to get a pitch count in the regular season, that the pitch count was really only for training camp. He was trying mm-hmm. to limit his reps so that he'd be fresh for the, for which the regular make, season. Which makes sense, yeah. He had a pretty solid game against Toronto, including kind of, clo- including kind of closing that game out for them just kind yeah. of pounding down field to you know to get that final field goal to seal to seal that home opener mm-hmm. um and then we saw a lot less of Jerome Messam <laughs> as it went on and it's not to, without its frustration for Jerome I, I think I described uh, him as uh, diplomatically frustrated mm-hmm. in the sense that he is he admits that he's frustrated and he's disappointed that he's not playing but he also is trying to be understanding he wants to help his teammates. He under, you know, yeah. it, it, it's a situation though that he's never found himself in before. He's always been the guy, and for the last yeah. two seasons, he's been the one thousand yard guy too, right? Like so, even at thirty one and thirty two, he wasn't tapering off. And and I think especially when you watch those running backs struggle in that game against the Alouettes, mm-hmm. why not put in a six foot three, two hundred pound body that could just crash through some guys and just see what happens. This is another problem with the Rough Rider offense, and this is yeah. another thing that's not helping Brandon Bridge or Zach Caleros, or whoever's behind center. Or the protection. They can't get the run game going. No. No, but the, the problem, this is an issue I've had with Steve McAdoo's offense forever, is it seems if, if, he, if on the first few runs it doesn't look like it's working, he just gives up. And we've seen it time and time again, and 
for this team right now that is a revolving door of an offensive line, we saw in the first game where they actually didn't put up huge yards, but they actually committed to the run game. Mm -hmm. And John and I talked about this because when the offensive line gets into that mode of the run game, it creates, it gives them a different attitude and it allows them to attack rather than push, rather than having to react. And that's such a difference in the mind of the, of the offensive lineman, not just for run plays, but for the entire game, knowing that they get to have some fun and actually like, mash some guys and that's, and, and that's the thing and, they, and they're, the they're thing. not getting that right now because okay well the first two runs didn't work so let's just throw the football for the rest of the night and I think people underestimate how much pro I mean as much as they feel bad an offensive line feels bad when their quarterback takes a sack the pride on the flip side of it that they take in a good run game. Oh, 100%. How proud they feel when Every... their running back runs for 100 yards yeah. or you know that they have a solid run game those offensive linemen are almost happier I would say than the running back to have Mm. a game like that because they love the run game because that like you said that's the fun part of the that's the that they get to be (laughs) aggressive they get to push back they don't have to be on the defensive all the time trying to protect they get to make the space and make the room it it, Um, it creates a it creates a mojo it creates you know a move forward momentum for the offensive line that then carries into the protection and Steve, I don't know. I just don't know if Steve McAdoo doesn't get that or what his deal is when it comes to the run game, frankly. But I mean, I, yeah. And I feel like the Rough Riders' run game hasn't been great for a long time. I mean, I feel like the most consistent it was was when Cam Marshall was the running back, yep. and it was he wasn't putting up astronomical numbers in any sense, but he was a very solid, serviceable running back that mm-hmm. got you the yards that you needed to. And on the flip side of that, had a very keen instinct to pick up the block when it was necessary. And I think that that's another thing that maybe some of these running backs aren't doing as well. And Marcus Thigpen talked about this, um, is is the blocking isn't quite there as well. And, and, And he said that Marcus Thigpen said Chris Jones talked to him about that. He said, if you want to go from a good running back to a great running back, you better start blocking, boy. Because you're not, mm-hmm. you're not. It's not getting it done right now. And Chris Jones values that in a running back oh, yeah. more than anything else. Yep. He couldn't care. Well, I shouldn't say he couldn't care less if he runs for a thousand yards. I'm sure that they, would be he, he would love to he have like one. That. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but he really really wants that extra quarterback protection, and he feels like it's the running back's responsibility to do that. Yeah, and I mean there are other, there are other options to do that. We've seen it in the past with Dan Clark was a tight end. And, and Dar- the, Darius Bladex played that position. He's done a little they bit. Up, they, uh, Spencer, Spencer Moore goes up there. Yeah. Sometimes. So there is always the option to go max protect, and it'll be interesting to see if they do that a little more against Hamilton this week as we shift a little bit and we talk about the game ahead. They've announced that Brandon Bridge is going to start, as we mm-hmm. talked about, but David Watford will probably make an appearance at some point or another. So what do you think what, what do you think needs to happen in this game for the Rough Riders to get back on track? They need to shake Jeremiah Mazzoli early. They just need to get up in his grill. I think that that's really going to be the key because I don't know if the Rough Riders have the offense to be able to outscore them with Jeremiah Mazzoli playing at the level that he's at right now. Brandon Bridge said mm-hmm. he's playing at a godlike level right now, and I'd be hard to press to disagree it, with that. It's early, but there's been a few MOP whispers starting well, For sure. I mean, right, I so. think what is he? This is this that was his eighth 
uh, straight 300-plus game. Mm -hmm. This week he could go to tie the record at 9. He's playing exceptionally well. And so if the Rough Riders can't figure out a way to slow down the Hamilton Tiger Cat offense and slow down Jeremiah Mazzoli, I don't think that they stand a chance because I just don't think that they're going to be able to put up the yards that they need in order to be able to surpass them if they can't slow him down. No, not at all. Unless... Unless the Hamilton defense has like a historically bad night, because okay, I mean you know bad there is there is every every time a, you know people like us break down games yes. and what do you expect there's always the Intangible. but yeah because anything can ever happen in any football game you never know right but ultimately yeah the this, the offense in all likelihood isn't going to be able to win in this football game and I, I think you're going to have to frankly and especially if they're going to keep drawing Carter at DB because no one else is ready yet on a short week which I. I somewhat get that. Yeah. Well, then, okay, then if you're if you're stuck with Carter back there and you know that June Jones is going to try to get Brandon Banks on him because he's seen what Deontay Spencer and what Chris Williams did to him, then I I, I think you're going to have to see a lot of blitzing in this game. I think I, so. I, I know Chris Jones likes to get his pressure with just his four down men or his three down men sometimes, but you don't have an option in this case because you have maybe a second or two until someone's open on Deron Carter. You better be sending... Like, maybe not all, a four, and then you need to send a linebacker or a DB or someone from somewhere on probably 75% of downs. Yeah, and I think that that's uh, something. Chris Jones has said that pressure is going to be kind of key in this game. I think he's recognized that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, It also seems like the defensive backs are are playing more of a a specific man coverage as opposed to a man-to-man coverage. That was kind of the impression that I got early in the week. We'll see if that holds. Uh, But that might mean that uh, someone someone that's not named Deron Carter may be assigned to cover Brandon Banks. We'll see uh, how that actually pans out. But... uh, I think the defensive line has to have a game like they had against the Montreal Alouettes yep. with a stronger offensive line in front of Jeremiah Mazzoli uh, and a quarterback that's really, really feeling mm-hmm. it, who's able to get the ball away quickly. And that's the other thing is yep. Jeremiah Mazzoli doesn't sit around in the pocket. He finds, his, he finds his target quickly, which means the DBs have to be sharp and the defensive line has to be fast. Yeah, so the question is then, we, the defense has to be good. They probably they need at least they how many touchdowns do they need for, combined from defense and special teams to win this game? I think they probably need, or at least at least turnovers that lead to very good field position for the offense. Yeah, I mean, I think they I think they need at least a touchdown from either special teams or defense, mm-hmm. at least one. Yeah. Um. And and that would have won them the game against the Alouettes if they would have had one. Um. I think they need at least one. Uh. And I think the offense needs to get its crap together it's poop in a group as i like to say because uh (laughs) because the defense like i said the defense can't do everything and so they need to figure out how to get the ball to brandon bridges hands faster and and that's something that i noticed that in that toronto game that they did well week one was zach claros he did like you know three-step drop fast out boom 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 and all of a sudden Mm -hmm. after that the play started to extend longer or Mm -hmm. they, they just they they recognized in the first in game one that, okay, Zach doesn't have a lot of time. Let's design the offense around that. And that's kind of disappeared since then. And it's so interesting to, to, know, to know that because that was really the type of game that Kevin Glenn played in the Steve McAdoo offense mm-hmm. that was so successful was that it got the ball away quickly. And all of Kevin Glenn's best games were in games where he was able to get the ball away quickly. And so um, I don't know if that's Brandon Bridges' M.O. really. Um, 
he's still a little bit deer in headlights to me. Yeah, in some that's in fair, some yeah. regards. Yeah. Uh, I think he panics a little too quickly sometimes. I think he's in his own head a little bit too much sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, again, I don't think that that's something that's not fixable. No. I think that he needs to be given the opportunity to fix it on his own. Though. And that comes back, and that's also a confidence issue because right? right now the coach doesn't have any confidence in him. And how do you feel going into a game wondering all the time if you're going to be pulled for making a mistake? It 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 all reverts. Remember that it reverts back to Corey Chamberlain when he used to Anthony Allen and the running backs. Every fumble he was switching the running back. And it just it just snowballed and it snowballed and snowballed and it got worse and eventually it's like give someone a chance they are they clearly all of them are like mentally fragile over this mm-hmm. right now stop it you know <laughs> and I think you have to you have to treat in a lot of ways like you treat your quarterback like you would treat a starting pitcher like you treat mm-hmm. a goaltender these are guys that need to know they're the guy yeah you can't screw around with them too much or it just shatters them because everything is on their back. Unless so you're I mean, Kevin Glenn, nothing shatters him. Well, nothing shatters Kevin Glenn. <laughs> oh, I miss Kevin Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> those, were, those were the simpler times. The simpler times, yeah. So let's shift gears a little bit now. We'll talk about one of Kevin Glenn's former teams, which is all of them. All of them. All of them. Um, first were off, we already talking about one of Kevin? Yeah, we were. We were as well, yeah. <laughs> Two of them, actually. Um, so... And that's the news today. We're recording on Tuesday night, the day that the news out of Winnipeg, that Matt Nichols has, I think in some circles, at least with my talks with John Hodge, it seems a little surprising that he's actually off the six-game injured list a little early. Is it? Is it surprising? Because I thought that they had said early on that about four weeks was what yeah. they anticipated, that it would be But the, vibe, the vibe I got from John anyway was that he thought maybe it was going to be longer. Oh, now, you know, you never know how a knee is going to react anyway, but, like, because, I mean, this doesn't, this obviously doesn't. He obviously has to be better because this doesn't mm-hmm. feel like a panic move because the Bombers are zero three. No, so like they've not. played fairly well. Yes, they've lost two games, but they still played fairly well with Strebler at quarterback. So this clearly isn't a panic move. Clearly, he's ready. And this, to me, because this really shifts the dynamic in the West a little bit. It's kind of in Calgary and everyone else. But I think with their group of Canadians, with I mean, hopefully a defense that can get it going if Richie Hall can ever get his act together mm. there again. Um, it shifts the dynamic in the West because I think Matt Nichols at quarterback, no offense to Strebler, puts Winnipeg in that yep, upper echelon this year. I agree. And I mean, I was talking about Winnipeg as probably one of the top two teams in the West. I mean, it's hard to say that when you have Calgary and Edmonton yeah. in the West. But I mean, I felt like they made the upgrades that they needed to make. They kept the pieces that they needed to keep in order to maybe yeah. make the jump. And it's always hard to make the jump in mm-hmm. the West. Yeah, 100. I mean, uh, but... Matt Nichols is that quarterback that you put in the conversation with Matt, with Mike Riley and with Bo Levi Mitchell. He has given them such a, a boost in that position that I feel like it's fair to mm-hmm. say that. And, and so for him to come off is big for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers to have him back. Uh, they, ha- they found a serviceable backup in Strebler, and that's good because they didn't know what they were going to have well, they, without Darian Durant. They haven't found a quarterback in like a decade. So, I mean, just to find someone that has potential is huge news in Winnipeg. Now to have two quarterbacks, they must 
Bomber fans must be feeling like they've died and gone to heaven or something. Yeah, because so you're <laughs> right. I mean, this does change the dynamic in the West that he's able to come back as soon as he has, um, and it really puts them back into the mix as far as 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 far as contenders in the West and as far as going for a playoff spot. Uh, I think it's great for Bomber fans. It'll be interesting. It was a closed practice in Winnipeg today, so no yeah. one really knows what's going on. So it'll be interesting. Which Michael to Shea see. doesn't do very often. So, oh, very. So they must have known something yeah, was up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very interesting because we have one a week here in yeah. Saskatchewan. No, I so I, I always know something's up when they on that day usually <laughs> yeah, in Ryderville as always, well. Yeah. Though there's always kind of something up in Ryderville. But it will be interesting to see if he's been pulled off and they're still going to play Streveler on Saturday just or if he's been pulled off to play. And I assume because they have a long week and the mm-hmm. game is on Saturday that Matt Nichols is probably going to play. I don't, I don't think there's any point in taking, taking him, off him off and not playing him. If you're, you're, gonna yeah, count his whole, if you're going right. to count his whole salary now, you might as well play him. Yeah, that's probably right. So, And the other interesting story in the CFL this week was... The fact that Kyrie Saber finally got suspended. This guy has been... He's, he's been dirty his entire career. He's been fined so many times. Question for you. Yeah. What does it take in the CFL to get a two-game suspension? Well, I, Like, that's what I... It's, yeah. It's a fair question. I understand why a lot of people were wondering why it wasn't more. But I think you have to look at it from kind of the... For lack of a better term, legal perspective where he's been fined so many times. He's been fined, he's been fined, he's been max fined, he's been max fined. I'm probably overstating how many times he's been fined, but... Yeah. And then if he... So if they go from max fine to, say, a three-game suspension, they probably win down to appeal to one pretty easily, the CFLPA. Okay. Because there was no precedent set where, no, you didn't give him the one-game suspension first. So to me, that's how, that's what that looks like now. Okay. Kyrie Bear should have been suspended two or three times over by now, so then he could have easily got that multi-game yeah. suspension. But I don't think... The precedent was there, not only for him, but really across the league. I just, that hit to me was so egregious. Oh, it is one of the worst hits I've ever seen. It feels like it should have been, just for the egregiousness of the mm-hmm. hit, it was worth an extra game. Oh, I, I, I don't disagree. It's, just, it's how, unfortunately, the process has to work. And it's also maybe kind of NHL-ish in the fact that if... I'm blanking on who actually got hit. Me too. Anyway, I guess the, if, if the Calgary receiver was actually injured on the play. That might have played into it as well because we know the NHL loves to base their suspensions mm. on the outcome of the hit of a situation rather than the act itself. So I, I think if there was an injury on the play, that might have made a difference as well. Yeah, and it shouldn't. It, shouldn't it, shouldn't, be, it, it definitely it should shouldn't. not. Um, but I just feel like this is an area where the CFL doesn't make waves, doesn't, doesn't go out of its way to make waves when in certain cases... It should just be the long arm of the law. Football is a dangerous enough game mm-hmm. on its own yeah. when it's playing when it's played legally. And so when it's not played legally, when it's played dangerously, they should be putting the on the big hand of God and saying, You can't play the game like this. No. This is what gives football a bad name. This is what injures people. This is what changes their lives irrevocably. Yeah. And I've always had an issue with how light they go mm-hmm. on some of the most dangerous things that you can do in the sport. Yeah, and it, it was, it was uh, that's why I honestly, given their track record, didn't expect them to actually get suspended. Mm. And uh, it, it, it goes back to some other things that happened in the, the league earlier this year where I didn't think it was going to happen because there was that hit that Hinoch Mwamba admitted that he went purposely at Johnny Manziel. He came out in the media and said he did it on purpose, that basically to try to take out Johnny Manziel, and the league did nothing about it. 
He did get fined the max fine the week after. Yeah, well, <laughs> but you didn't get fined for whatever. No, I, it's it's very it's very interesting, and that's that was a weird one because yeah. Enoch Mwamba is not like that. Well, this year apparently yeah, he is. Apparently he is. <laughs> maybe you would be too if you were playing in Montreal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.